APIs are ubiquitous and critical to building modern software, and developers must frequently develop custom APIs to streamline user access to their services. However, making an API that provides a great developer experience can be a time-consuming endeavor. As a result, API teams often leave the final mile of integration up to their users. SpeakEasy aims to provide a product and a pipeline that makes it easy to create and consume any API. Sagar Bachu is the co-founder and CEO of SpeakEasy, and he joins us in this episode. Hi, Sagar. Welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hey, Pavel. Uh, it's great to be here. So let's start with the first question. What is SpeakEasy and what do you guys do? Absolutely. Uh, SpeakEasy is an API developer experience platform. Uh, we exist to ensure that API producers can create and consume APIs extremely easily. Um, our goal is to realize a vision where creation and consumption of REST APIs is much easier than it is today. Um, and we've started uh, with one part of that very, very big vision and uh, continuously are working towards realizing that vision for our customers. How did you get into programming? And what were the first steps in the world of software that you have taken to get to this point? Absolutely. Um, so I, I actually, my background was uh, completely different. I started and studied in physics for a number of years um, and realized before I was going to get a PhD that, you know, I didn't want to be spending many, many weeknights and weekends in down in the lab. Um, and the parts of the my you know physics degree I enjoyed the most was actually programming when when I was taking the data and turning it into something actionable that we could work with. Um, and so my last year of college, I had a mild freak out and decided that I was going to try to cram in as much computer science as possible, um, so that my degree was something that I could immediately go start building. And the idea of you know starting to build every day was was very exciting for me. And from your background in physics, did you find any things that you have learned within the physics degree that helped you a lot within with your with your experience in programming and with the path that you have taken? Absolutely. So uh, physics is all about you know approximations and patterns, and that kind of thinking translates very well uh, to computer science and programming and in building. Right. A lot of times as developers, we very much rely on our past experiences. Um, in, in many ways, I would say, you know, the code you read is more important than the code you write because uh, you start to develop all this intuition about how systems are built, what are good patterns for development. And so physics is, is a lot of the same. You're, when you're investigating, you know, phenomena as a, even as a lab student in, on, in you know, an undergraduate degree, you're not discovering anything new, but you're actually uh, going through dozens of experiments. And as you do, you develop an intuition for uh, how to run an experiment, um, and also an appreciation for the scientific process, which at the end of the day, you know, not just for programming, but for company building and startups is is super important, always thinking first principles about, um, you know, the, the data you see and, and how to make decisions. And from the degree in physics to learning to programming, cramming all the computing science courses, how did you end up working on SpeakEasy and where did the idea come from? Yeah. So I worked after my degree in a number of startups, uh, enterprise software for the last decade. And my most recent company, LiveRamp, I spent a bunch of time there working on building out the engineering team in London uh, for the company. And through that, 
a lot of developer tooling, data infrastructure, really thinking about internal developer productivity at companies and the impact that has on the end customer as well. Um, I think there's a saying, you know, that great internal developer productivity means great external developer productivity. Um, maybe we just made that up, but I'll I'll just say that that's I, I you know very firmly believe in that. And so ended up working a lot of internal tooling at LiveRamp. Um, one of the really uh, amazing tools that we had built internally, um, kind of led by a chief architect, was um, an internal API development stack. And the basic idea there was, you know, if you want to provide consistent, clean API interfaces for your end users to use. Um, the best way to do that is internally ensure that every team and every developer is developing the same way. We all kind of as developers, you know, know Conway's law, which says that in, in short, you end up shipping the organization that you have internally to your customer, right? And so if, if we know that to be true, then you have to always ensure how you develop internally uh, is the way you want to reflect externally. That's often what happens with products. So that stack... Uh, focused on make it very easy for Intel developers to define an API um, and then not have to worry about all the last mile tooling that it actually takes to get the API live. And talking about ensuring end-to-end -end type safety, really well-documented uh, APIs and SDKs that stay in sync, uh, great, great and consistent authentication across all your APIs, um, and making sure that all the access patterns that your customers have are consistent across all of your products. Um, I think, you know, we did this at LiveRamp, but a number of other companies have achieved this, um, like Stripe and Twilio and GitHub, but they only do it through really, really intense platform engineering, right? We we at LiveRamp had many engineers focused just on this. Um, at companies like Stripe and Twilio, we know that there's massive platform teams whose, you know, sole purpose is to ensure that the APIs are consistent in the way they're delivered to their customers. So that's the inspiration for Speakeasy is that, you know, building an API is hard, but when you actually think about distribution of the API to developers, it's it's about 10x um, size of problem. And could you give me a real world example of a company that uses Speakeasy? Is there any company that you could maybe and describe how, how they use well, how they use it and what was the main benefit for them? Absolutely. Uh, one of the companies that we've been very fortunate to work with from early days is a company called Airbyte. They are a very popular open source developer piece of, piece of developer infrastructure. They focus on making it really easy to move data um, and kind of become this kind of core part of the modern data stack. Um, they started as open source and then have launched an API as part of an enterprise offering. And uh, you know, when you launch an API, it can become a key monetization channel for a company. And so investing in the developer experience and the, the time to 200, as we call it, you know, the how quickly you can get a developer to onboard and actually use the product um, is critical to adoption um, and as well as you know, long-term use and maintenance. And they realized that you know, when they launched this API to actually achieve that vision of great time to 200, they would have to spend several quarters, several engineers, have a whole API platform team. Um, and that's all time away from actually core product development. Um, so that's what we were very lucky to work with them from early on and help them, you know, essentially accelerate that vision. And I and I say accelerate because a lot of companies do have this vision. Right? They want a great API and they want 
a very well adopted API that essentially is you know integrated everywhere. But achieving that vision is is the difficult part, um, and so we helped accelerate that. Um, what the way we work with Airbyte is twofold. We launched um, a set of what we call managed SDKs and a Terraform provider for them. Um, so they use Open API spec, which is a common API standard. We're able to plug directly into that and host these production quality interfaces for them in GitHub, automatically manage them, create pull requests as the API changes, keep them up to date, publish them. Since you take over this whole pipeline that needs to run outside of actually developing the API. Um, and so we were able to do that for them um, in just a quarter, go from launching the API to actually having fully supported interfaces as well as tooling around it like uh, basic logging, security, telemetry, things to actually ensure the maintenance of those interfaces is also strong. Um, so yeah, really, really excited to be working with them. Uh, you know, also as an open source company, excited to watch them continue to grow and monetize as well. Um, and uh, very happy to be a partner with them. And since it was your first customer, was there anything specific or surprising that you have learned from Airbyte while you started developing Speakeasy? Absolutely. Um, a product like this is meant to, uh, you know, accelerate um, development, but it's also really interesting because it can help unlock new revenue as well. So there's almost a, there's both a bottom line and a top line argumentation for using a product like us, which is, uh, you know, as I mentioned, we help you achieve the vision with a lot fewer engineers spending time on this, um, and at the same time help you reach new markets for your API that you previously may not have touched. You know, um, Terraform is a good example. As a, as a company, if you want to launch a Terraform provider, you need several Go engineers learning a very like, complex development framework, uh, need to understand Terraform now as an ecosystem. Um, and so we go to companies, and I think for a lot of folks, um, realize that working with us means they could actually maybe unlock new developers that they otherwise you know, uh, wouldn't have even talked to. So it's, it's TAM expansion. Um, and I think that that's like an exciting pitch, especially for startups. And what is your current price in your current pricing model? And how do you make money? How do you charge the companies that use your, that use your software? Yeah, so our current pricing model is based on API operations. So an API operation is a single verb in your REST API. So get, post, put, call are all operations. If you're familiar with um, schemas like Open API or Postman collections, uh, a single operation ID is how we charge, and we charge on a per month um, basis. So we don't discriminate between the languages. So if you're using, you know, an API spec with ten operations and three languages, that's thirty operations. Um, and we also don't uh, charge per generation. So you can continuously change your API every day, and we'll we'll always keep it up to date. Keep these SDKs up to date for you and all the tooling around it. So you only charge per the actual usage, and you kind of scale your pricing with scale with the company that grows. That's right. We we don't want to um, penalize you for you know iterating on your API. That's that's something we actually want to encourage. Um, instead, we we only scale as your API grows and as your business grows. And do you also have any kind of free quota for developers that just want to try it out? Yeah, we actually have a very liberal free usage plan. You can actually come to Speakeasy and at, at this moment use everything in the platform for free. Um, the only you know, restriction is that it will all be in our GitHub. So the moment you want to actually productionize this, 
bring it into your GitHub and put in your package manager. That's when um, you start working with us commercially. But you can actually come and use the product, use all the features with, you know, zero paywalls. And speaking a little bit more just about APIs in general. So I was wondering, what are the most common mistakes that you see that developers make when implementing APIs? Oh, man, that is a can of worms where to start. Um, you know, I, I think even before getting into the the problems, I, I will say that designing an API is something that uh, is almost taken for granted, right? Like all of us learn how to design APIs when we start programming, but designing a truly intuitive API that's easy to use and, and kind of grok, right? Um, as developers, we use that word whenever something is just just makes sense, right? If you start using it and it kind of flows, uh, that's really tough. Um, and so um, the kind of problems we see is everything from the design side. So how does the API actually reflect the resources that your company is exposing? Um, that, um, you know, company to company is very different. There's product philosophy that's involved on do you want to expose the resources you think about internally, externally, or do you want to have a completely different layer? So understanding those resources in the domain model is usually where the, the, a lot of the problems lie. Um, I think the second thing we see is um, in terms of API design, um, it sounds kind of silly, but actually just the naming, right? How do you actually ergonomically structure the API so that when you're when you think about API design, I think you actually have to think about the delivery and how developers use it. Like if I'm in an IDE and I'm importing in an SDK to work with the API, um, I really just want to type the company's name, right? I just want to type, you know, um, Acme org, type in Acme, and everything should just flow from there, right? The type hints should essentially guide me through that. Um, and so a lot of people, I think, when designing the APIs don't realize that the API itself is documentation. Um, and it's it's not, um, you know, your API isn't separate from the docs. It is, if it, a well-designed API can be the documentation that a developer uses. Um, outside of that, a lot of other issues we see, often uh, authentication is a common one. Um, you know, these days, schemes like OAuth and OIDC are becoming popular. Those are difficult workflows for the developer to manage. Um, and so we've spent a lot of time in ISTKs ensuring ISTKs can actually handle those kind of um, security schemes give you, you know, automatic uh, token refresh workflows, so reducing the burden on the API consumer. Um, <clears throat> a couple of other, you know, places we see issues uh, just in the way APIs manage different content types is a common problem. Um, also, uh, you know, polymorphism and inheritance, also a difficult one. Um, that one maybe is a little bit more to do with how open API is designed. Um, and I think that's a whole different conversation, but um, generally these are all kind of concepts we see that teams struggle with. And what tech did you use to build SpeakEasy? And are there any interesting open source technologies that you're leveraging that you think are great? Yeah, so we uh, built SpeakEasy with uh, Go and TypeScript as kind of a core components that our code generation works off of. Uh, we used Golang for actually understanding the APIs, the parsing the specifications, um, plugging it into people's uh, APIs to middleware, that's all to go. And then we use uh, TypeScript for actually doing the serialization of the SDKs themselves. So uh, trying to get best of both worlds there. Uh, we've actually open sourced a small repo 
uh, called Easy Template on our GitHub that is a unique way of using Ghost templating system, um, but with TypeScript actually uh, to do the serialization. So uh, we've built a little project that people can check out. If you're a power user of Go templates, you might find this interesting. And which cloud provider do you use to run Speakeasy and why did you make that choice? Yeah, so we run on GCP and Google Cloud. Um, I've worked with Google Cloud extensively when I was with, at LiveRamp. I think it's a great uh, cloud provider. We chose it specifically because they prioritize developer experience. And as a developer experience company, the vendors we use as well end up reflecting how our technology is shipped. And so if we prioritize our own developer experience, then it goes a long way towards ensuring our customers have uh, good DevX as well. And while building Speakeasy, what was the most challenging technical aspect of building this entire great system that you built? Yeah, so um, I would say that you know building something like this is a continuous journey. Uh, I like to say with the team that every day is day zero. There's always more to be done and then iterate. So we're still definitely early in the journey, but so far, one of the things we've come to appreciate is um, building a product like this. You have immense amount of product surface area to, to consider. You know, we already had seven, eight languages in terms of that we support, um, and um, you know, multiple stacks integrating with different APIs. APIs are so diverse when you look at them in customer stacks. Um, the way they're designed, the way they're implemented, the frameworks they use, um, and so we're exposed to uh, essentially the full universe of REST APIs. And dealing with that level of complexity has taught us to prioritize and really, you know, start with the things that matter the most to people and then, you know, expand over time. So the, I think just learning how to, you know, manage that spread while also delivering a high quality product um, has been the thing that we have really grown into. Because you said that you support at the moment how many languages from the point of view of the SDKs that you generate? Yeah, so we support eight languages and we're also adding novel generation targets like Terraform, which is not just a new language, but also a new runtime as well. And does your team are they expert in each? Are they experts in each single of those eight languages, or do you ever like seek outside help to make sure that the that the code that you generate is to the best quality? Yeah, so our team are all polyglots. Um, we appreciate language design, think about ergonomics for developers. At the same time, we understand that you know languages have communities of their own, so we always try to work with at least one or several developer influences every language we go to. So uh, we just launched Swift, um, so iOS. We're working with a developer who's well-known in the Swift ecosystem and kind of specializes there as a as a consultant to ensure that we are making the right language choices as well. So, um, you know, if you're someone who works in a particular language and has really strong opinions and, and how to do, you know, idiomatic design in that language, definitely come talk to us. We're always looking for new influences to work with. And was there any specific environment or language that just gave you a big headache or just to, and took a lot of your time to try to figure out how to generate the SDK? Yeah, well, uh, it's a tough, tough question. You're putting me in the spot to throw a particular language under the bus. But um, no, I think, you know, every language is unique and I would say no particular language has given us more or less trouble. Um, I would say um, all of them are equally easy and challenging, you know. They all have things they do well, things that they don't do well. Um, so, yeah, no no particular language is harder than the other. Yeah. And from the point of view of just the general architecture of the Speakeasy, 
what were the most interesting architectural decisions that the and that you made and how did they cooperate with your tech stack um yeah so in terms of architectural decisions that we've made you know i think um we've worked really hard internally to ensure that we can actually ship our product through um you know uh, a distribution mechanism that customers understand so we are a github native product um, we work directly in your own environment your github projects so uh, you can almost think of us as an us as an embedded product and so making that decision only meant um the way we work is different right where we don't we we are a company and a, and a product that works with our customers to serve their end customers and so we do this extra hop in our product every time um, we ship a new feature um, I would say the other thing that we decided very very early on is that we would um, you know as we scale out to different languages um, try very hard to provide kind of consistent devx across all of them so that's also been something that's driven a kind of core decision making from the get-go is that we want to optimize for every language idiomatics, but at the same time, we want to provide consistency as well. So it's a very fine balance to walk. Um, and then finally, the last thing I'll add is we want to meet developers where they are. So we work with open standards today, like OpenAPI, Postman, um, and you know, in the future, other specs as well. And you know, we may want to propose to the REST ecosystem, you know, a new design standard, but. I think starting from there is a challenge, right? You have more than 50,000 companies adopting OpenAPI. And so for us, it's important to help that community drive it forward uh, to the extent that we've even found a self opposition on the on the design board for OpenAPI v4, uh, known as Moonwalk. So very much believe that you have to you know, help an ecosystem evolve before trying to rip and replace and, and come up with something new. So. Um, we work with you know your your API frameworks, your standards as they are today. Mm. And from the point of view of the security and the re reliability of the service, how do you ensure that? And do you ever have the data that that the user data or the data that would normally go to the server of the of the company that that has built the API? Does it ever flow through your services, or do they do they connect those SDKs? Do they do they connect directly with the APIs, or do you ever act kind of as a middleman of that data? Yeah, so we, we do have the ability to collect telemetry and usage and the logs from SDKs, but we don't do that by default. Like that's something we're very careful uh, to be very transparent with our customers and say, you know, we don't collect that unless you strictly enable that with us. Um, so by default, we don't collect any logs, any telemetry. Um, in terms of SDKs, because they deliver directly to your own version control, uh, we're not a middleman essentially at that point providing um, an embedded service that runs completely local to environments so there's no code that's generated that's sent outside there's no uh, api information that's sent outside really the only thing that connects with us is authentication just to say you're using speakeasy um, and who you are so yeah pretty much believe that you know we want to respect the uh, you know the boundaries that you already have with your and could you talk a little bit more about the team and how do you work together? Yeah, so we, we are a um, remote first team, but have centers of gravity in San Francisco uh, slash the West Coast of the US um, and um, London um, in the UK. So I, I spent a number of years out in London and then my co-founder Simon, he's 
uh, you know, grew up in London. And so we have a little bit of synergy there and uh, have started building out an awesome team, uh, mostly developer-focused team out there. So we have two two local hubs, um, but always looking for engineers anywhere in the world. You know, I, I truly believe talent, a great talent can be found anywhere and can be a differentiation for a company early on. Um, that being said, you know, like nothing beats in-person iteration and and the discussion and you know time spent together. So we very regularly meet up um, as a team or as sub teams in in localized areas and have travel budget around it. So if you're going to meet another member of the team and work with them, you know we kind of have a no questions asked budget to to travel. And do the do the two different hubs, both the one in San Francisco and the one in London, do they differ from the perspective of type of work that is being done over there? So for example, more engineering work in London or in San Francisco, or are there kind of more equally the same? Yeah, so we do have teams kind of focused on different uh, areas. We do come together, have a collaborative period early in the morning every day that is good overlap between US and UK. Uh, and then time on either side of that is focus time for teams. So mornings and early afternoons in the UK is focus time and then you know late morning and afternoons in the US is focus time. I think it's really important to build these remote rituals early on, um, trying to work, you know, the way you work in a in the office environment remote is, I think, very challenging. Um, you know, there's there's a saying um, amongst managers that you either have a fully remote team or a fully in person team, and so when you're a hybrid team, you have to be a behave fully remote. Um, you can't sit in the middle and end up, you know, with this really mixed process. Um, it ends up always disadvantaging the one person, you know, who might not be in the same time zone as everyone else. And were there anything, any processes or any ideas that you tried uh, to do with your remote team to kind of work remotely better that specifically didn't work and you abandoned them? Uh, That's really an interesting question. You know, I think something that we did really early on that I'm, I'm very happy that we did is Everyone we hired, the first four or five people who joined the team, uh, started with Speakeasy doing contracting and essentially contracted for several weeks, got great signal on us as a company. We got great signal on them as developers and, and just builders. Um, and they ended up joining the team naturally after that. Obviously, that doesn't scale. There's a point where it's very difficult for every interview to be an extended contract. Um, but early on, there was something you know, that we did. And I think it's just created an early team, but great fit and, and great camaraderie. And now when you hire new engineers, do you, and do, and do you continue that process of just getting them on the contract first? And how do you select them? What kind of features and characteristics do you look for in engineers that join Speakeasy? Absolutely. I think first and foremost company at this stage, the thing that matters the most to me is uh, ability and speed of iteration. Um, you know, you're essentially doing this random, semi-random walk as a company to find truth, right? You're searching for PMF and trying to figure out what people want. In that kind of scenario, the most important thing is that the developers stay really close to the customers. You trade on, you know, essentially a daily basis, and it's it's not life doesn't move at this in weeks or months. It's moving daily, and so the decision making has to be fluid and. Which, which means the developers have to be okay with the ambiguity that comes with that, um, which is a tough thing, right? We all, a lot of us start our careers in bigger corporate, bigger ecosystems where 
um, you know, we end up getting f comfortable with fixed roadmaps that have a horizon of many months. But in a company at our stage, the horizon for any decision is days, if not a week. And so being okay with that constant iteration is, is to me, one of the highest, uh, most important things when working with a developer. And are you hiring now for any specific positions? Yeah, so we are hiring for more developers uh, in the UK, uh, in the US as well. Um, still looking for early team members want to work across the stack from working with CodeGen, um, LLM, APIs, um, also working with front-end, uh, great developer experience in UX as well. So uh, essentially all the way through. And since I used to, as you just said, that your, that your team is split both between uh, London, UK, now a bit more remote, and San Francisco. And I lived in London, I worked in London for a while. And since you have worked and lived in, the, in, in both of the spots of the tech hubs, how do you think personally, how different is the mindset in San Francisco than it is in London? And kind of how do those markets differ? Yeah, so London, of course, is a very... Um, you know, I, I would say it's an earlier market than San Francisco in terms of tech, uh, but it's quickly growing. I think the talent there is amazing. You have lots of developers coming from more traditional backgrounds like banking, finance, um, and when you put them in a high equity, high ownership environment, they really excel. Um, and then, of course, SF brings the, um, you know, the the true Silicon Valley spirit of entrepreneurship and building quickly. And so, I think it's really nice balance to be working with both um, and they both have the strengths and weaknesses of course so as so you might be getting by being emerged in both at the same time you might be getting the best of both we'd like to hope yeah and i you know i do hope one day we have uh, hqs in both places and, and we have developers going between them but um very lucky to be working with amazing teams in both locations and what would be your advice to founders starting tech companies in 2023 yeah, um, I mean, the world has changed so much in the last two years, um, and even in the last year since we started. I would say, you know, focus on customer value, focus on something people want to use, want to pay for. Um, I think it can be, it has been quite distracting for the last few years, you know, in the world of cheap capital, um, you know, which is awesome for some startups, but I think there's a lot of distraction away from the kind of core problem that you're trying to solve as, as an entrepreneur, which is you know finding what customers want and delivering something that's highly valuable and sticky for them. So just kind of relentlessly staying focused on that is important. Um, there can be a lot of hype and a lot of, you know, tactics in startup land. And I think it's it's fantastic to deploy those towards that end goal. But remember, it's all, it's all about PMF, right? Everything else is either improves or decreases and the, P and the PMF to kind of extract the uh, acronym, would that be the product market fit? Exactly, yeah. Product market fit, number one. Everything else is in service uh, of accelerating it or decelerating it. So if you focus on that, I think all the other decisions you're making will either compound that or um, take away from that. And you guys have recently emerged from beta that you have been working on for, for, for a while, but actually you've done the work very, very quickly. And I was wondering, as a developer that want to use your service, how do I start? Really easy. You can go to a, a website, hit the Try Now button, and immediately get you know be able to log into our platform through GitHub or uh, Gmail. And yeah, uh, 
in just a few easy clicks, you can connect your API with us, start understanding your API, creating SDKs, publishing them, um, and over time, do more and more to the platform. Um, so it's really easy. We also have support for many different options, like a local development mode where you can use everything to a CLI locally as well. So uh, we're very flexible as a company in terms of how we work with our customers. So please do reach out. Love to set up demos, trials, in addition to actually just trying it out yourself. And what is the next milestone for SpeakEasy? Uh, what are we currently working on? Yeah, so we've been really lucky to work with a lot of early customers on this core problem of you know building high quality developer services like SDKs. But as we expand from there, you know we're kind of going up the value chain and thinking more and more about the overall API build process. So how companies are actually building the APIs, iterating, evolving them, and shipping them. And so we're starting to introduce more features around the actual API development, um, understanding API schema, evolving, versioning it, the governance side. Um, so we'd love to get to a place where the moment you start building an API, we actually, you know, you consider using Speakeasy to make that API build process a lot easier. Um, and from there, you know, there's a very rich road around um, all the infrastructure to actually run the API as well. Things like auth and rate limiting and caching. So there's, there's tons of products to be built and um, I think a whole ecosystem to evolve here. So we're super excited to, to go after that broader vision. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. It was great talking with you. Thank you, Pavel. Super excited to be here. Thank you so much.